So welcome to another one of Sofazan's evening Dharma talks. And as you know, November is our friendship drive. And we thought there's no better way to make friends than you actually getting to see our faces for once. So I just thought we would take this evening to introduce all of the full-time practice residents. Those, So I will begin. My name's Chiezan, and sometimes I ask questions. Come on. And uh, <laughs> I'm the Shuso at the monastery. I take care of uh, everything that happens here underneath the guidance of uh, Sokazan. I'm Gyokudo. I'm from Minnesota, and I'm here for a six-month practice residency again. And I do a lot of flowers. Uh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to do stuff with it. <laughs> Next. These are monks, not trained actors. <laughs> uh, I'm Michael. I'm the Cheetin, so that means I'm responsible of the Zendo. I keep things tidy as best I can, and I order things like incense and charcoal. I'm Jiuzan, uh, and I do some technical stuff around computers and stuff. My name is Shoka. I'm one of the fully ordained monks here at Sokokoji, and I'm currently training as the Eno or head monk. And I also uh, work with sewing projects as an. I'm Uyo. I'm the Dharma mom. <laughs> so I crack the whip when the laundry's not done right. So, as you can see, we're in desperate need of help. <laughs> Although we may not seem like much, we do endeavor to uh, do as much as we can to help uh, the community and our outreach. And our, so thank you, and Sokazan will be with us in a moment. Dharma talk is titled War and Peace, and it is one in a series of talks. Uh, I think there's three of them, and uh, that's one that uh, I gave on Monday night in Kalamazoo, Michigan, at uh, Sanctuary Yoga, and then at... Uh, on Tuesday night in Grand Rapids at um, Unadorn Lotus uh, Dharma Studio. So, anyway, we were someplace. And then, so I thought I would uh, give that, it won't be the same talk because I pretty much can't remember what I just did. Uh, but we can talk about that. And War and Peace is an interesting theme. Um, people talk about it. it's, of course, the, the Russian novel by, I think it's Tolstoy, which I could not read. Has anyone read that? It figures, Q. <laughs> <laughs> Michael read it, Q, and read it, so. So how should I say? Read the novel. So the idea there is it sets up a polarity, war, peace, um, love and hate, uh, existence, non-existence, life and death, success, failure. It's, the eight, it's a way of uh, talking about the eight worldly dharmas in a particularly interesting way. We all have some kind of interior kind of um, struggle or difficulty. If you're watching a Dharma talk like this, or if you're in this room, probably at some point in your life, maybe before you came here, more than likely, you run into some kind of difficulty or conflict or abrasiveness that you've not found a, a way to work with or what called a solution or something. So a lot of misunderstanding uh, around that, mainly the misunderstanding is to think that one is good and one is bad, uh, rather than see that they uh, are very similar. Uh, they're, you could even say, if you want to really be puzzled by it, they're the same. You can't have war without peace and vice versa. On the other hand, and on the same hand, it's a relative peace. It's a relative war. War is relative. The very peace that we seek is relative. And when someone is reacting to the war, uh, 
not through their reactions or their feelings, through their passion, aggression, ignorance, uh, uh, and the uh, hatred, however you want to look at it, they will try to go to peace if they have the intention to good, do good, to be kind, to be generous, even though they you know, might have a particularly um, peaceful, uh, even passive or um, kind disposition. If they have not looked at the nature of the mind, then the self-centeredness, the ego, the, in the Yogacara tradition called the seventh consciousness or the klesha mind, that will try to control something by getting rid of something. So it's a very subtle way of working with it. And uh, in this tradition, the only way to really work with anything is, is to, before you do anything, is to first be very, very aware of the nature of it. If you're going to act on anything, on anyone or yourself or anything else, be very aware so that you don't end up wasting a lot of energy, way of saying it, uh, working on the concepts about it because they feel just as real, sometimes more real than the very nature of that which inspired your opposition, your agreement or whatever it may be. So we see war and we want to pacify it because when we think that maybe we could be the one who stops the war. And I wouldn't even say that that wouldn't have some relative impact. Could pacifying is a good thing to do, especially if you're there and you see, you see the actual structure, nature, texture, quality, of smell, taste, touch of that particular war. You really are with that war. Then what you do comes out of your awareness of that, that situation rather than your ideas about it, which quite often are what hidden prejudice. Most prejudice is hidden. Quite often we hear people say, well, I'm not prejudiced. If you're white, you're probably prejudiced. I mean, and you know the, the context I'm saying that. Yeah, I mean, we can't, we can't help work. The culture does that to us. But it's not so much about getting rid of the, of the prejudice, just stop being that way, stop going to war, to try to go to peace. It's, it's too artificial. It's too much of a, it's a, it's a sales pitch that ego puts forth, our self-centeredness, because we, we do not like being prejudiced. That's the first thing that happens, or we do not like going to war. So we want to get rid of it. But instead of doing it in a, what, intelligent way, which really considers all the different variables, all the different aspects of that situation, so that you can, if you're going to do something about it, you're coming out of your awareness, not out of the polarized, extremely polarized thought process. Thought process is a wonderful tool. We need it. We couldn't be where we're at without that. But by throwing the awareness in the back seat so that we can control it might feel safer to ego might feel more might even feel more workable or the or correct we quite often see people uh, in our maybe in our family in our workspace or our uh, co-workers community uh, on television so on that are that are really smart really intelligent that's pretty obvious but are are completely confused about the way to work with this. They want to go in and make something bad, make something uh, good, and then get rid of the bad or do away with it or vote them out or whatever, and try to just continually do this. And we see it's been going on for a long time, long, long time, because it is misunderstood at the root. That's why I say when people want to go join the Peace Corps, which I wouldn't stop you when you join the Peace Corps, or try to do some other thing uh, to effect change. And don't misunderstand, I'm not saying we, we shouldn't vote. We should participate in the world that's in front of us all the time, not reject it. We don't need to go to a mountaintop. We've got a mountaintop right here, six and a half hours a day. 
if not more. And so picking and choosing, that seems to be coming out of one of the sutras that says picking and choosing is the disease of the mind. It's not that you shouldn't do some of that, but when there's a fixation or grasping about this is right, that is wrong, all, all um, uh, intelligence uh, stops, all insight stops, let alone equanimity that was already the case until we interrupted it with our, our dumb ideas about things. It's interesting that if we if we look at the very feeling of the tension or the warfare or the, or the objection or uh, in the extreme version, actual out and out anger or rage that sometimes just is solidified in the form of a, a Bradley fighting vehicle. In other words, centuries of going to war, going to war, going to war. Suddenly uh, or even or, uh, slowly, it kind of congeals or solidifies into weapons of war, um, into thoughts about war, into justifications. Just the whole idea of patriot, patriotism. Look at it closely. See what it is. I'm not saying we shouldn't care for our country. Of course we should. But look at that closely. Um, there are people in high places. I'm not trying to get off into political areas, but are controlling everything. Uh, so you don't have to go to go to war with the controllers to go to war with the with the uh, as uh, Mr. Dillon talked about the masters of war. He talked about that in the early '60s. Still going on. So it's not about going against the whole Leviathan, the whole um, you know, rage against the machine, but rather uh, find this machine, find this impulsive action to, to actually go to war with others, to go to war with oneself. A very similar kind of situation. Just observe that. Find a way. And uh, I have a way that I would recommend. Sit down and look and see if there's someone who makes war. See if there's someone who practically demands some kind of conflict in order to keep himself, herself, themselves uh, feeling like something's being done or like there's some kind of value to what they're doing. At least they're doing, at least they're doing this. Any questions, especially from the people who were at the last uh, talk uh, yesterday in Grand Rapids, a couple of you were. So any questions about what I've said so far? Something I might have said last night that I haven't discussed that maybe we could include in this uh, talk. I think you said that it's a misunderstanding to think one is good and one is bad, mm -hmm. looking at the polarity. If we see a situation, is there a difference between thinking one is good and one is bad and seeing maybe that one is causing more suffering than the other? No, that would be more contrast. You would just see that, but the, the, it seems to be important to, insofar as you can, it takes a while, but insofar as you can, notice the judgment come, come up, but don't get rid of the judgment. That, that's that's a, a more subtle form of going to war with your own mind. So trying to, I, I sometimes say, and I want questions that come out of this. I don't want agreement. I don't need agreement. Don't agree with anything. Don't believe anything I say. Uh, don't go to war. Don't go to peace. Don't do anything. If you, if you're, if you go to war because you think this should be done, that should be done. And we need to, you know, fight with another country or something. Uh, or if we think that we should just be peaceful, we shouldn't do that. We should completely disarm. Uh, we shouldn't fight with our neighbor. Um, and to go on and on like that sets up more polarity. It's not that we shouldn't deal with the situation in some way, but it needs to, as I see it, needs to come out of the awareness about a deep understanding of the polarity, which means you not only look at the war, the difficulty, the struggle, or the tension, but you're also looking at, at if that's out of there, is that peace? What What is the nature of, of peace or tranquility or equilibrium? 
or equanimity or all those other fancy words that point to some kind of a basic balance that's going on. More? Does the balance include both war and peace? Yes, it would. They, they collapse into each other. There's no, the, the tension, the same thing with uh, the relative uh, situation of uh, uh, expressed as uh, non-duality or Advaita, no self, no other, just perception. So it's by continually bringing our minds, our perception into this situation deeply. Uh, you can even say fearlessly, which not, does not mean without fear. It means that the way you relate to fear is not by running the other way or reacting to it or grasping it or explaining it, blaming somebody else, blaming yourself. It's just fear. There's no one who's afraid and there's nothing to be afraid of. Subject object uh, collapses. Just a way of talking about it. So if it's done through the uh, through the perception, as the perception, then there you might look to other people. You might look like you're self-centered. You might look arrogant. You might look uh, weak. You might look strong. You're, you're kind of a, a blank slate for everyone. So they can project anything they want. But who you actually are is uh, not much. There's plenty in the world. Uh, there's so much in the world that you don't have to be anything. Just receive. I talk about it all the time. Receive everything that's happening. If you're always on receive, if you're always giving everything your attention, everything, this, that, this, that, how your stomach feels, how someone else is combing your hair, not adding on, they shouldn't do that, or that's a, that's a bad hairstyle for you. Jim, Jim's in here. In other words, if that kind of a thought, kind of a, a spontaneous judgment, that's also arising. That's also arising. This is called dependent origination. You get to actually have your own personal experience of pratitya samudpada, one of the basic, probably the most important teaching of the Buddha. Everything is dependently arisen. Nothing comes from its, from its own side as an independent, solid me or you. Go ahead. Last night, a, a gentleman asked you about dependent origination, and your response made it pretty clear to me that I didn't understand what that meant. Um, what is dependent origination? What was the question? He he was asking about if things were inevitable, like with certain circumstances, a, a person born in a certain city, raised a certain way, if they're in a situation, is it inevitable that they respond a certain way? And you said that nothing's inevitable. Yeah, nothing's inevitable. And inevitable is an is a, is a ego's word. That is a way of, of getting rid of something. You're going into some kind of nihilism about it. So it's neither inevitable nor is it not inevitable. It, that that word doesn't apply to uh, dependent origination in, in the way that the self-centered mind is trying to get a handle on it. It's like you want that, but you're reaching over here. You're fishing in the lake when all the trout are in the river. Big mistake. Don't do that. Michael, I'll be back. Go ahead, Michael. You said something very quickly there about saying war is bad, and that's also judging. Does that relate to, you often say when there's these big protests coming up, and you say, don't go protest. Did I say that? Yeah, but then you always add the, unless you have to. No. <laughs> but Your memory is better than mine. Is, is, is that... When you, when you say that, don't go protest, is that what you're talking about? Is that it's it's making a judgment to go protest? Well, what, I, what I, I feel like I'm trying to help with or show is that is don't take your unexamined uh, hidden skirmishes into a situation where there's obvious kind of warfare, where people are actually hurting each other through objects or shouts or whatever. 
because if that's unexamined, it can vibrate or resonate with that. And you can get drawn into something because uh, the anger that you're feeling, you think it's there. Yeah, it's called projection. And this ha can happen to the kindest people and suddenly explode. It's not about not exploding. It's about awareness. If you go in there, you may learn a lot really quick. But I think it might be better. I feel it might be better to sit down and, and look at the wall wall gaze and, and, and slowly over time, eventually uh, make friends with yourself or relate with a, with a hidden aggression that is uh, bubbling under the surface there, just to use a, that kind of a metaphor. It's not about stopping that war. It's always about awareness. The whole stopping starting thing is it's a misunderstanding. It's all over culture, all over our society. It's all over the world. And, you know, the dictators everywhere. How many, how many, my last count, 61? The 19, 19 people who are in the world who are controlling others. Yes, sir. Can we see those unexamined aspects of our consciousness without them resonating with something? That's, I think that's possible. Uh, if you're sitting and practicing over a long period of time, I, I think that you could get some insight into some of that. Um, but it's not so much about insight into that. That's the beginning of it, is seeing those pieces and particles of the way the mind is constructed, uh, showing up through the five skandhas, form, feeling, perception, concept, consciousness, along with uh, uh, the uh, uh, store consciousness. Uh, so that it's, I think it's so different for each person. But what fundamentally could happen or will happen if you do this long enough, you will, see, you will actually see the fundamental issue, which is mistaken identity. There, there is no one there. There's no solid being. There's a lot going on, but it doesn't constitute a being, like the five skandhas are, are a way of describing the self-centeredness. So it's, it's, that's why I say you don't have to get rid of ego. You just have to see that it's unreal. It's a charade. A very, very can be a very serious one that can result in war, especially if you have enough charisma that you can control a lot of people and you, can, you don't go, but you send people in uniforms. I know what it was like to be trained in that, being a former uh, U.S. Marine many years ago. You, you actually are conditioned to think that that's, that's what you need to do. You just need to uh, follow, follow your general orders, take charge of this property and all government property and do. That's the first general order of a century. And there's a whole bunch of other ones that you just you memorize them and you do them. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of discipline called disciplining others so you can control them. Rather than this, which is this is more about uh, discipline for your own mind and consciousness. Let me take Keon's. Keon, go ahead. Does unexamined warfare get quelled by discipline? Again, it's not about quelling the warfare. That won't work. You can't quell something that is that is. Uh, if you see what it is, you won't you won't do anything with it because you'll understand what it is. This doesn't mean that if somebody you don't have the opportunity to interface with somebody who is at war with somebody else and is hurting them. You wouldn't maybe stop them. You might do that. You might, you might, you might. But it's about seeing the one who goes to war, the one who goes to peace. It's about, it's about the identity. It's a mistaken identity, which means that the image I quite often use, and I can use it here, is I say uh, the war and peace is going on on the stage. And the actual peace, the peace that is not about that relative situation, uh, that relative situation is covering up the actual peace that's already the case. Some people think by stopping the war, we have peace. No, you just have more polarity. 
It just goes undercover because you've not addressed the fundamental nature of war, which is uh, imputed or separation or hidden prejudice, <laughs> which uh, just being prejudice builds into that. So go ahead. Is there a need for any prevention? That would war. You know, well, the whole war machine is a has a momentum that's been going on long before. Not trying to be funny, but I sometimes I mention the Peloponnesian War just to, because it's a long time ago, but it was still a war, and those people that were alive then were uh, suffered, uh, just like uh, people in the First World War, Second World War. My father, my biological father, was killed in the Second World War, and uh, and that was also where they he didn't want to go to, and he uh, knew that he wouldn't somehow knew he wasn't going to come back. That's what he told my mother. I was four years old. So uh, I think seeing the nature of war and peace, seeing that that is a sort of things that get their meaning from each other, if they're used in a relative sense, you've got to have more peace and you've got to stop the war. It's not that that isn't a, something that we could think about, or of course, that's ideally, that would be good, but it won't, it won't stop unless you uh, understand what it is fundamentally. And the, the war here, this has to slow down first. If this is still going on, if you're hiding this, you're hiding out from it. Uh, if you found a way to just not look at it anymore, and that could that could even be a form of meditation practice. Some meditation practices uh, seem to form hideouts. Um, I, so I've talked to people who met people, and as I said, I've been doing this a while. I've met people who have had intense, long, long meditation practice, but are still completely hooked on themselves and on their ideas and their opinions and so on. And other people. Sometimes uh, I meet, or you meet, we all meet people who don't have enough things going wrong in their life that they'd even care to meditate. They just seem to kind of go along and mow the lawn and go to work and play with their kids or whatever. And, and there doesn't seem to be any big thing until it comes to something where their mate dies and suddenly they're panicked. They don't know what to do about that. And usually they close up about it, just try to ignore it. Because the next thing that's coming is, is their... Uh, Termination. Sato. Um, you've talked in the past about losing the war. Is that a way to step off the stage away from the war and peace? Yeah, I think that's a part of the path. There's the ground path fruition. So the ground would be uh, suffering, the difficulty, the warfare, the conflict, the, the, the fear and all of the basics of it. And the path, part of the path would be uh, looking at it so that you can see that there is a stage quality to it. It's a performance kind of thing. Uh, not in the form of entertainment necessarily, but to see that the observer quality, if, it, if the observer quality can back away from that and have a little bit more objectivity, you could say, in other words, see it as a, like a stage play, doesn't mean there isn't horrible things happening there. Now, this is a metaphor that, of course, Shakespeare used, all the world's a stage, but uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't meditate. So <laughs> he might have done something else. More about that, say, Tom? Right now, thank you. Mm -hmm. You have another question. Um, you said um, the war in here needs to slow down, but it's off. It's often recommended that we don't try to make something slow down. Or no, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying to start up. Are you finished? Are you finished, or you want me to comment on? I had a direct question. Go ahead. How I do we prefer that? How do we genuinely slow down the war? Watch the movement. I say it over and over again. Uh, the, the, Meditation primer, that book of meditations, I probably say that just 
just what just observe, observe observe because if you do anything with the, what you're observing if you're reacting to the observation then observe that so it has to have different levels of the way you approach it and there's there's all kinds of exotic ways of meditating this this way is pretty simple but also uh challenging and difficult because you don't really kind of get immediate results from it, it takes a lot of just uh, persistence and uh, uh you know i could even say yeah that'll work bullheadedness Sit down and just do it. Do listen to the instruction. Practice. Sit down. Hold still. Watch what moves. Even if what is moving, uh, you spontaneously add on. I don't like that, or you spontaneously add on to that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Uh, what will people think if I say this or do this? And it's just a. It's a. But eventually, you begin to see that this is just a very circular kind of thing. So it's almost like you, instead of being on the stage in the activity trying to get some awareness, it's like the awareness just kind of sits back and moves to the, to use the theater metaphor, moves to the first row and just watches what's happening and, and a little, with a little bit more uh, dispassion, objectivity, or maybe maybe even those words don't work. You're just, just observing. And then because you're not doing much with it, the momentum of that dependent upon your particular karma, what got you into this, uh, uh, this hootenanny in the first place, you know, then that starts to actually, uh, that starts to show up as the very um, motivation to do this starts to get stronger. And one uh, starts to see more clearly the nature of the, of the self and the nature of what is grasping and what is rejecting and what is shutting down. Seems like we have to go through this uh, in a very pragmatic sort of way and understand those concepts viscerally so that we can see that you, you can't you can't do anything about it. It's not that you can't do something. And it's not that when you get off the cushion and you go out in the garden and you see someone walking down, uh, the example I've used before, someone walking uh, down the road who is uh, abusing someone or, or hurting someone or hurting their an animal or something like that. It's not that you wouldn't walk right out there and stop it put in, and do, you know, not just sit back and, with a bunch of thoughts about, well, that's not my business. Well, I know somebody's suffering. Uh, I'll, I'll let it go. It's none of my business. Well, uh, if it comes out of the awareness, then you're not going to need a protocol from me or anybody else about what to do because you're you're with the situation, not judging it. You're just seeing that, or you might it might be a situation where you see that and you see there's really no there's no way out of your own intuition. There's no way I can move in that direction. Like if somebody's doing that, say, in their house and you see it through a, a window or something, you know, pretty difficult, difficult to move in that direction. And then it could show up lots of different ways. So there's no there's no protocol that we can set up as this is how to handle this situation. We, we just never know how that's going to occur or how, the, how we're going to relate to it. And that might be the uh, best way to relate to it is just not knowing what's going to happen next. You talked about equilibrium. Is equilibrium something to be pursued? You don't pursue anything except meditation practice. Train your mind. I mean, that's just a concept that I'm basically saying equilibrium, equanimity. Those are things that are, are you don't have to create anything. You don't have to create peace. You don't have to create it. It's, it's, it's always the case. But we, we go into a concept about peace, and that's starting to uh, get a little bit of uh, anti-gravity going on. And then warfare comes up, and then they dance in the, in the space. Well, the, the equanimity or that balance is already the case. It's already there. It's always there. But it gets the 
covered up by the smoke and mirrors of war and peace, right and wrong, up and down, back and forth, life and death, yes. Is any movement warfare? Not necessarily. I understand your question. Not necessarily. If the, if the movement comes out of, uh, for, say, for a person to personalize it, and it might not, you might not even know this or be aware of it particularly, someone else might notice it more than you, but if it comes out of just no more warfare with dependent origination, but in order to, you have to understand dependent origination. You have to look deeply into it. And how do we understand that? Look at your own mind and see how you don't really produce your thoughts. And you can, there's the illusion that we think, but take a look. I mean, it's like, it's like the illusion that we hear. Just take two of the sense fields and come on, bring them together. Look at them for a while. It's an illusion. We just, it's uh, ignorance of the way the mind works. But meditation practice is about, not about, I mean, it is about becoming more aware, but it's also about becoming more clear about the way ignoring happens, the way, the way the shutting down happens or turning away or distracting yourself. This is the way we create separation. This is a, if you look at the 12 links in the chain of existence, the 12 nidanas, the first one is ignorance, uh, ignorance form. And uh, that ignorance uh, is there. And then there's the, uh, some scars or formations. So using that, I mean, if, if those kind of concepts help, then that would be something good to study. More about that? Show it up. How does ignorance cause form? So it, it, uh, to, to, to use a descriptive way of talking about it, it's not exactly this, but we, we have to talk. So I'm going to make up some stuff. Okay, great. I'm going to use words, language. Your native tongue is Portuguese Hawaiian. No, English. Okay, ready? Okay. Uh, there's, there isn't, uh, let's do it this way, like a story. There's anything but open space. This is basically Trungpa talking. This is my, uh, um, weak paraphrase. Um, there's just open space. And then something happens there. Something very simple happens like hot and cold. That's a good one. A very simple thing. Hot is not hot is something, uh, cold is the absence of hot, but they look like two different things. And then when that happens, then some kind of motion happens, like a tornado or something like that. And then that, that, that causes a, a, an ignorance of the open space, that ignoring of open space creates forms, creates samsara or samskaras. That's a, if you realize that 2,500 years ago or more, people were, someone was looking at it that way. They were spending their time, their precious time. They could have been inventing the, the wheel. Well, I think that was probably already, but, but they could have been inventing the Prius. They weren't. Instead, they were, what is this? What? How does this work? How does How does this work? How does that work? And how does this work? Through sitting practice, I assume, and study, and so more about that? I don't know unless you do. Go ahead. It seems like we almost have to come up with the same line of questioning that the Buddha did, like, on our own. Like, so... Could do that. You could start with the twelfth, um, the twelve nidanas. Start from the first one: sickness, aging, and death, and then birth, and then becoming, and then on back through the rest of them. You go back and contemplate those. That's the way it's said that that he did that, or that it's that is is it is a way of moving back towards uh, understanding ignorance. I've not done that. Confusing to me. Yes. There's a line from Sandokai that's coming up. The 
I respectfully say to those who wish to be enlightened, do not waste your time by night or day. Mm-hmm. How, how do we waste our time? By, by running in circles. I like this. I want that. Let's get some of that. Let's go over here. Let's do that. Let's say, oh, that's not working. Yeah, I knew we weren't. We shouldn't have done that. I think we should do it this way now. Oh, finally we got that. Oh, we, that was a problem, but we solved that. Let's call samsara. And actually, when you come into a place like this, we continue to do that. But then by holding still for lengths of time, we begin to see the circularity. And when we see the circularity, that which is, put this very literally, that which sees the circularity is not going in circles, unless it is. There's no guarantee. So there's no conclusion factor. More? Question. What is it to see that that doesn't move? Yeah, you won't see anything. You can look at movement, but nothing. It's it's not that there isn't something moving. Yes, there's something moving, moving, but it's not separate from anything. So therefore, there's no movement. It's mm-hmm. is that which is not moving. Is that only inferred? Mm-hmm. You know what what a Rube Goldberg machine is. <laughs> it's like you watch your life is like watching a Rube Goldberg machine. Put a marble in the trough. It runs down. It hits an egg. The egg pops. The opens up. The yolk goes down in the frying pan. The frying pan cooks the egg, and then the then the, what happens next? Steam. Steam. Oh, steam comes up, and then, then what? Usually shoots dominant. See what I'm saying? <laughs> and it goes on and on. And what if if you see what this is? All that stops. You see you see the machine, but nothing is moving. Nothing moves. Their cause and effect are are not two different things anymore. Come on. How's that not an experience? It is. It's experiential. What's different about it? Should I ask you that? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is great cooperation here. (laughs) Yeah. What's different about that? There's there's no one seeing that. It's just, it's just seen. There's no perceiver of that. And I'm just using a Goldberg, maybe a Kind of a stupid example of it, but but what is the movement is still there, but it's not separate from anything, so it's like there's no movement. It, it's, I don't. It's, it's, it's not the, the. This is moving through space, and then suddenly you see that nothing is separate, and then that stops. No, this doesn't change at all. What changes is the, the perceiver, perceiver along with the object of its uh, collaboration just stops, or it re- returns to its uh, its natural state. Very, very difficult to point to in a way that is fundamentally helpful. So that what is being pointed at, as far as I can see, as I say, sit down and look at this. Sit down, hold still, watch the mind come and go. And don't conclude. Yes. Question from Laura in Traverse City. Mm-hmm. While pursuing meditation practice, how does one improve quality of time on the cushion? I think it's just, uh, don't particularly evaluate. I, I would think uh, initially, the first, when I say initially, I think first number of years. But just sit down and don't evaluate your sitting. The most important thing to do, as far as I can see, having done a little bit of this, is to hold as still as you can for whatever length of time you can hold very still. And then if you have a bad knee, then even if it's every five minutes, move the knee, rub the knee, come back in, start over. Always beginner's mind, over and over and over. So the way you improve it is... Uh, Beginner's mind, but but there's no credential. You're not going to get any credential. Like I'm finally a beginner. It will just. It could feel more and more like when you go to sit down. You have no idea why you're doing this. You don't know. You lost your original intention. It's powerful. That's why it's necessary to have Buddha Dharma Sangha. Very necessary to have a teacher. Doesn't have to be me. Might be better to be somebody else. But need to have some someone as you're going through this that you can go. 
Uh, so that as Trungpa Rinpoche once said to someone who was saying, well, if you have to do this all yourself, why do you need a teacher? I'd love to uh, answer. He says, it seems that you need someone to watch you do it. And do what? Awaken. I'm just wondering about how that would function in the context of someone who doesn't awaken in their teacher's lifetime. Is there still a role that that teacher is playing on that student or some sort of watching? So I, don't, I, I can't really generalize about it, but the way it looks to me is uh, if, you've, if you've met the teacher, then, uh, then uh, if you've met the teacher, then that's what's important. And then how much you see that teacher. Uh, in the situation of my function, I see people, not very many people, but I see them a lot. So, but in my situation, my teacher, both of my teachers had uh, quite a bit of, quite a few students and I didn't get to see them too much. So I'm not sure if that's what, what well, you were saying that um, it will trunk or said that it seems that someone needs to see you awaken. And like in your case, your teachers passed away quite some time ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if about that, they're not physically there watching you anymore, but is there <laughs> yeah, they what the role? <laughs> it's never gone anywhere. Never gone. That doesn't mean there's some kind of uh, haunted uh, guru wandering around. No, it's never gone anywhere. Not separate. And and uh, I saw his awakening. So not to, it's always mutual, but don't conclude anything around that. Like, oh yeah, I get that. I think I'm going to go off and be a guru. As I say, don't teach unless you absolutely have to. Excuse me. What is tension showing us? Tension? I think there's probably a lot of uh, different ways that can be talked about, but I think it's just... Uh, I mean, it's something that may show up for some people and may and may not. It can be tension in the body. It can be tension in the mind or some kind of anxiety happening. Uh, just a, a particular form of, a, of suffering. It should just be observed. Don't abandon the tension by uh, going to the cause uh, necessarily. Unless it's something that is uh, chronic that, you know, it's like a sore ankle or something like Shoka is having trouble with his ankle. And then, you know, you might have to go and get some help with it. So we have to kind of not be too idealistic about it. If that's what you're asking about, is there some other dynamic? What, go right to the cause, what fuels the tension? Could be anything, but but something will keep it going is if you fight with it or, or cover it up or trying to ignore it. Just like the very simple thing in modern medicine seems to be, I'm not saying we don't cure some things, but quite often it's about not, they can't figure out how to solve it, but they come up with a way to cover up the symptoms. And then say, well, that'll, that'll work for a while. And at the same time, under the surface, the body is still, it's not able to heal, uh, naturally heal, which is built to naturally. It's not able to naturally heal because it's being covered up by some artificial thing. That's why uh, uh, some forms of meditation are have an artificiality, especially if they aren't, if there isn't a lot of uh, guidance or a lot of uh, some kind of guidance happening there. A person can use the meditation to build uh, what Trump Rinpoche called a cocoon around themselves and protect themselves and feel like they're meditated, but they are all meditated and they're really doing really well. And they might even feel so good. They start writing books about it. Quite happens quite a bit, but it's still spiritual materialism of a form. All, all, all be it helpful in some ways. So people do that. They, I feel better, but, but not everybody's karma is going to allow them to just do some simple mindfulness practice, uh, 45 minutes a day. And, and suddenly, Everything looks better, and usually that practice will start to uncover things you've been covering up for a long time. So it may may need some help with it. Yes. 
Is there a fundamental tension? I think the, the Buddha, the first words out of the Buddha's mouth is life is suffering. So it may fall under that particular teaching or concept. Life is difficult. It's suffering, not just pain, uh, like the pain you might have in your legs or or you're in your ankle or something like that, but just some fundamental dissatisfaction or tension that can be happening. It can show up as tension, can show up as different names or uh, different things, depression, anxiety, fear, um, all of those. There's so many different kinds. We probably all have our favorites. Yes. Are all those that you just listed warfare? I think they can be. I think they can turn into that if we start to go to war with it. Instead of bringing our awareness into it and look at the tension, look at the nature of that dissatisfaction and have a willingness to uh, to just receive whatever shows up. And and you'll notice if you don't if you don't uh, uh, chase it down, if you don't run away and you don't attack it, if you don't do anything pushing and pulling and you also don't look away or shut down or distract yourself from it that whatever that looked like as some lump of uh, unhappiness that was there, it doesn't last. It will it will persist if you're doing anything with it. It will fight back because it it's like uh, the very nature of uh, relative uh, truth, pratija samutpada, the very nature of this and that and that and that, light and day, life and, light, life and death and uh, daylight and darkness and, uh, and so on gets reinforced by that. So... But, but just to look at what's happening, simply, it starts to morph. It starts to change into something else. And eventually, there's no guarantee of anything. Eventually, it, it uh, uh, returns to its true form, which is awake. It's awake. You're awake. There's, there's no one to awaken just to see that you're not sleeping. Yes. You said you saw Trungpa Rinpoche's awakening. Did I? When did I say that? <laughs> Three minutes ago. Okay, go ahead. What did you see? I saw the Buddha in, in him, not just him, but his presence was, was uh, people used to say, and you know, this can be some kind of charismatic guru worship. I don't know. Didn't look like that to me. Uh, I was there. And when, when, but when he would walk into a room, the, everybody's mind would come to a halt. Mine in particular. <laughs> I wasn't aware of other people's minds, but it just seemed they couldn't think about anything. It just stop. I don't know how else to describe it. And he would leave and it would start jabbering again. Yes. Was there a period of time where you saw him before that would happen? Yeah, a little bit. I was still uh, trying to figure out who this guy was. Uh, the first, uh, first few months, several months. But I, I didn't see him a lot. I lived with him. So I just encountered, you know, when we do a some kind of a seminar or something where he was teaching, I would be there or and I had a few interviews with him. That's when it would mainly happen. But him walking into a room was powerful. Yes. Did your perception of him Yeah. Did my perception of him? Is that then question mark? <laughs> Did that affect his awakening or how you received no. that? No, I said don't get too fancy. It's not that it's very ordinary. There's room for another question there, but I can't, I can't, and I can feel the answer. Uh, sometimes I come in and say, please ask me questions. I have a lot to say, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm wired in a particular way where I can't do it without permission. Uh, it, it doesn't work if I start to say, you're all Jesus. 
<laughs> if I thought it would help you, I would. Especially you. <laughs> Don't look behind you. <laughs> no, I'm I'm being silly, but I'm just saying it seems to take a combination of you ask the question and then I do the best I can. And then I've said many, many times I hear the answer the same time you do. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I can feel something come up around what you're asking about. That has to be a very, very direct, specific question. Go ahead. You got it. Yes. You have a question. Yeah. Don from Virginia has a question. I bet he does. Hi, Don. If we observe cause and effect occurring over and over, but not change what occurs and just receive it and then not conclude anything from that observation or experience, what are we actually doing? On some level, you're probably practicing the Buddha's, Buddhist path. Now, things might conclude, but there's no concluder. So things might come to a close or open back up, or close, but you're not, you're not baffled by that anymore. You're not baffled by knowing and not knowing. Knowing and not knowing are very confusing to the ego mind. Choke up. Is there a difference in the presence of someone who's not awake? So can you paraphrase that? I, I'm following your question. It's a pretty simple question. I appreciate that, but I, I would like to answer it in a way uh, that's different from that. So maybe paraphrase it. Otherwise, I just have to say yes. What's the presence of someone who's not clear? Separated. Separated. So what would be the presence of someone who is clear? Yes. Not separated. Not separate, not separated, separated body, speech, mind, quality, clothes, haircut, size of horns. But go ahead. So, does that, if somebody who is confused awakens, does that presence change? The presence was always there and it's always pure. It's always pure. It's just covered up by, by, uh, uh, uh afflictions. It's, uh, as Nagarjuna talked about, uh, a cage of your afflictions. It says you're in a cage and awareness is pure. It's the Buddha in the palm of your hand, the jewel in the rubbish heap. It's 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 always here. You always have it. Everyone here has this or is this. It's not separate from this. And it just we practice to see what that is, to understand that. And that when that understanding is uh, complete, when there's a direct perception of this, then the, the perceiver and what is being perceived are no longer two two different things, nor are they one thing. No conclusion. More? If different people awaken, does the presence also show up differently? How many people? Five? Yes. <laughs> what do you mean by different people awaken? I'm not sure. You mean somebody awakens in Arkansas, somebody awakens over on uh, Grelingheisen? Like Colvin and Trunkla. Manifest. Does it do what now? Is it? Does it manifest differently? Oh yes, my goodness! It mass manifests through their through their personalities. Yes, they're totally different. They were nothing like each other. They, they were. I'm surprised they even got together and looked at each other and smiled. But they did. I have a photo of it. They went. <laughs> it seems like you were telling a joke or something about Caucasians. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think I say what, I see what you're saying. You don't get, you don't become somebody else. You you don't become you're the manifestation is in this in this life is still has us all except there's uh, there's uh, you're fearless. So therefore you're no longer afraid of your own ego, your own personality, your own 
how you look. Uh, you notice that people are projecting on you because you don't have anything else to do. There's anything else to do. So you, you, you can feel that, but you don't mind because they have to work on somebody, project onto somebody. You know, I can't you ever feel eye marks in the back of your head. I know you can. <laughs> <laughs> One more question. Choo-choo. A question from Greg in the UK. Greg in the UK. Is that which holds still and sees separate from what is occurring? The path quality is, yes, there's separation going on. But uh, fruition is nothing occurs. Nothing has happened. Even the occurrence is, has not occurred. I have to use words somehow uh, endeavoring to point to something that is a non-event. But it's also because of not to. It's also the greatest thing that's ever happened. And it's uh, astonishing. But there's no one to be astonished, so um, slips away. The conclusion of astonishing just show, might show up and then vanishes. Might I be able to do that? Yes or no? Serve others. Put others before yourself from now on. It goes for everybody. Serve others. Don't uh, don't be a pushover. Don't get any. Don't go mop somebody's floor <laughs> unless there's money in it. <laughs> One more question. How do we serve others if we're fundamentally self-centered? That's how you do it. Just look at the self-centeredness. Don't try to get rid of that. Don't, don't, don't try to be somebody else. Be who you are. And if you hear that, then you'll you'll find a way. It'll show up for you. You'll find a way. Do that. You'll contemplate that. You'll look at that. And it's not about going out like I'm joking about mopping someone's floor. But I'm saying it's not about doing that. But on the other hand, it could show up that way. It could show up very, very simple, mundane ways. Not something you go out to deliberately do to be a kind, good person like some people do. And they're, they're not wrong. They're doing working with their life the way they can. But it's... Uh, it's uh, about uh, make friends with yourself, sit on the cushion, and and stop objecting to everything that, sh- that comes up or agreeing with it. Don't do anything with it. Train your mind to see clearly, and then that will uh, occur spontaneously. No guarantee. Okay, thank you so much. We'll stand and dedicate them right in the back of our chant books, and I'd like to thank everybody for their continued support during our Friendship and Awareness Month. As well as beyond, thank you. We appreciate whatever you can do to help us. May it bear this penetrate to all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's ways. The ten directions of three worlds, all Buddhas, all venerable ones, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, the great Prajnaparita. Buddhas and Bodhisattvas of the Ten Directions and the Three Times, please hear us. Please come down out of the light and protect Sokotoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, our Sangha, families, friends, and visitors. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering and fill them with life.